Several months ago, I preached a series called Three Questions Every Christian Must Answer. We are in between series, just finished up a series two weeks ago, and last week was Pentecost and celebrating Asian American ministries. Next week, we're beginning a new series called Summer. (laughs) Pretty catchy title. (laughs) Enjoying the Fullness of God. It's an expositional series through Colossians. Colossians is a letter about fullness, the fullness of Christ, God's fullness in you, the fullness of friendship. Fullness, that's that's the theme in Colossians. But I wanted to take today to expand on something I preached on months ago, three questions every Christian must answer, and I want to add a fourth. And here's the question. What happened to you? What happens to you when you invite Christ into your life? You ever ask that question? Like, what happens to you? That's what today's about. Now, I've had many, like you, life-changing experiences. One of them was when I got married to Holly. You have a picture of Holly? Okay. So this picture is on our wedding day, and it's been, it's sitting on my desk in my office for over 10 years. I took it out of its picture frame so that we could scan it so I could show it today. Jungmo happens to walk into my office and he says, who's that? <laughs> and I said, it's, it's me and Holly. And he said, oh. I thought it was a one-off, but I took it to the office, and somebody said, who's Holly kissing? (laughs) And I said, it's me. How many husbands do you think she's had? And their response was, oh. (laughs) A life-changing moment. These days... Our life-changing moments revolve around our family, like many of you. So there's a picture of us. Can you see that well? Yeah. Uh, we, we go to Knobles Amusement Park every year, and this was taken last year. And that's um, our two daughters, their husbands, our grandchildren. And we have a phrase at our house called golden moments. You know what a golden moment is? It's almost like time stops and you realize you're fully present and you're in the moment. And you recognize there'll never be another one exactly like this moment. As important as the two moments or seasons I just mentioned our marriage and our celebration with children and the moment that we're together at Knobles. There is one moment that has shaped my life more than any other moment. 
And it took place when I was 11 or 12 years old. I don't remember exactly. But I was at a kid's camp. And it was in New York where I was born and, and grew up. And at this kid's camp, it was a church kid's camp, this preacher was talking about Noah and the ark. And he was talking about the ark of safety and how God wants us to get into the ark of safety. And I, I grew up going to church. I mean, I just don't remember ever not going to church, right? So I grew up that way. And for the first time ever, while that preacher was preaching, another voice entered into my head that said, you know about me, but you don't know me. And it took me back. What are you talking about? I'm on the children's quiz team. I go to church every single week. I sit next to my parents. That was before we had kids worship, right? I sat next to my parents. They'd give me little things I could draw on. And I mean, I just, like, I lived at church. This was the time where revival services, you know what revival services are? Revival services used to last two weeks every single night. And the preacher was just getting warmed up at 845 <laughs> on a school night. You know what I'm saying? He was winding up at 10. But when the invitation was given to come to an altar to ask Jesus into your life, I just knew that what this voice has said to me, and I thought, oh, okay, I'll go down to this altar. Now, I had no idea what I was doing, right? It's just, I'm just responding to a voice. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I was just listening to the preacher that the next step was go to an altar. I don't know. What do we do at the altar? I don't know. So I just went. While I was there, another guy came over, an older guy, and he said, what, what do you want, what do you, why are you here? And I just went, I don't know. And would you like to invite Jesus into your life? Yes, I guess, yes. And he led me in a simple prayer. And after I prayed this prayer, I felt different. And I don't know how to explain that. It wasn't like I was emotional, although it's okay to be emotional, but I just knew something had changed in the universe of Mark. Now, I have degrees in divinity and theology, but I, I must confess I've been on a 45-year journey to try to figure out what happened to me that day because it was so mysterious. It was so profound, but I didn't know it at the time, but it has changed the course of my life. It's changed who I married, my vocation, where I live. It's changed everything for me. 
Which leads me to this thought that just because you have an experience doesn't mean you know really what happened. You're just trying to figure it out. Have you had an experience like I've had with Jesus? Now, maybe it was clear, like my experience, I heard a little voice in my head, or maybe there was a season in your life in which you can't pinpoint the day that you asked Jesus into your life, but you do know that you can look back on a season and say, well, yeah, that's where, that's where Jesus became more than a, a name to me. And I can't name the, the moment, but I can certainly say, I, I know that Jesus is in my life. Where were you at? How old were you? Did you invite Christ into your life in your home, at church? Maybe it was at Christmas and Easter this past year at Emmanuel. Were you at Emmanuel? Were, were you at some kids' camp? Were you at a, a, a family camp? I'm going to ask you, if you've had that experience, I'm going to ask you in, in the next 20, 25 minutes to just go back and do a little mining and ask yourself, what really happened to me when I invited Christ into my life? Now, why would we even ask that question? Here's the answer. If you want to go work for a big company, wouldn't you want to know what the benefits are of working for that company? Wouldn't you want to know how many weeks vacation you have? How many paid days off do you have? You know, do they pay for dental? Take it a little bit deeper. Let's say that you are fortunate to be adopted into a wonderful, healthy family. Wouldn't you want to know what that family's like? How do you function within that family? How are they going to love you? How are they going to care for you? What are your roles? What are your responsibilities? The church in Corinth must have asked the same exact question that I've been asking myself for decades. What happened to me? Because Paul gave them the answer in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 16 through 21 together. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. The new, the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Bow your heads, please.
Jesus, these next few moments, help us to unpack a specific passage of Scripture that talks about what happened the day or season that we opened up our life to you and bring clarity to that for everybody in this room and online. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Paul says four things happened to you, uh, four things happened to me the moment we gave our life to Christ. The first is you became a new kind of person. It says it right there, verse 17. Anybody who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, a new life has begun. I once knew a lady who, when she gave her life to Christ, she felt so different on the inside that she kept running into the bedroom looking into the mirror. I just feel so different. Do I look any different? Now, whether you felt different or not, because at the end of the message, I'm going to talk a little bit about feelings, but whether you felt emotion or not, when you gave your life to Christ, you became a new person. You may know that, you may have known that, you may not have known that. But when I say a new person, what I'm really saying is, God's spirit entered inside of you. You were born again, and Jesus began a construction project inside of you to make you better. And ultimately, that construction project is going to be finished in heaven, but it started here. How many of you know that construction projects can go on forever? Our kitchen's been going on for seven months. I am so tired of washing dishes in the bathroom sink right? But this, the purpose of this construction project is ultimately to form the image of Christ inside of us. Little Jesus walking around. Slowly, maybe even imperceptibly, God is changing your desires. The things that you used to want, now nah, you don't want them so much anymore. The, the movies you used to watch, now when you start watching those movies, there's a little part of you that's like, mm, I, I don't know. Should I be watching that movie? God begins a deconstruction project and God begins a construction project. The deconstruction project is called conviction and conviction is good. The world will tell you that guilt is bad, false guilt is bad, but real guilt is good because that means you're functioning as a real human being. So have you ever had this little voice in your head that says, you shouldn't have said that? You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't be thinking that way. You shouldn't be operating that way. Now you have a choice. You can go, I'm going to blow past that and do what I want to do anyway. Or you can listen to that little voice who is the Holy Spirit and say, I, I, I'll stop doing that. But this kind of new life isn't just about no's. For every no, there's 10 yeses in this Christian life. And so the Holy Spirit is always speaking to you about shaping your life so that you actually come out better. And so the Holy Spirit will sometimes say to you, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. And so when you gave your life to Christ, you became a new person, which means that now your thinking is beginning to change. You've been given a new identity. You've been adopted into a new family. Number two. 
You are made right with God and are now at peace with him. You may not always have peace in your life, because life is crazy sometimes, but you've settled the ultimate question of peace with God. Look at all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. This is the homecoming verse in the Bible. You know what homecoming is? You remember the story of the prodigal son? He comes to his senses in the pig pen. And he decides to turn and go home to his father. And he comes home with the expectation of he's just going to be a slave to his father because he's blown it and lost the right to become the son again. But the father doesn't treat him like a slave. He embraces him, gives him the signet ring, which, which really is the most important thing he ever gave him back. The signet ring was, you can do business again in the family business. Woo, the elder son is ticked off because he thought it was all his now. What happened? The prodigal son came home. And he wasn't come home to a judgment. How could you do that all these years? He comes home to grace. And that's exactly what happens to you. The grace that you receive when you gave your life to Christ what happened to you, the gift that you were given is peace with God. The war's over. You're now at peace. Third, you are forgiven and cleansed of every sin that you've ever committed. For God made Christ who never sinned to be a sin offering for us so that we might be made right with God through Christ. Listen, whether you feel forgiven or not, on any given day, you are. Past, present. Every sin you've ever done, every fault, every mistake, every embarrassment in your past, Christ wiped it away and said, new creation, we're starting over. The blackboard's been erased. Now we have new chalk. There's a new owner, and we're writing a new narrative, a new story called the story of you and me, forgiven and cleansed. Four, you're given a new mission in life. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. You know, we all want to know our purpose in life. We all want to have a satisfying life. We all want to have meaning. So let me just give you, this is not a message on how to know God's will, but that's coming down the road sometime. But let me, let me just tell you my initial thoughts about your purpose in life, my purpose in life, and God's will. I think, we think, that God's will is tasks. Well, what's God's will for my life? Should I be a teacher? Should I be an accountant? Should I be a lawyer? Should I do this? Should I do that? What's God's will for my life? Should I marry this person or that person? Should I go to this college or that college? I think that sometimes we, we, we try to micromanage our lives so much that we get paralyzed. And I think sometimes God is just saying, just make a decision. Okay, you may think that that's funny, but listen to this. St. Augustine, for all of our Catholic friends out there, you know St. Augustine, right? You know what St. Augustine said? Love God, do what you will. Think 
about how profound that is. Love God, do what you will. So here's Augustine's thought. If, if you're doing your best to love God, he'll never let you stray that far. Do what you will. And if you find yourself going down a pathway and the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit will direct you. Remember in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul is traveling through Turkey and he was trying to figure out, like he just assumed that he was going to go preach in that area. But there's this mysterious phrase that says, the Holy Spirit prevented us from going there. Paul is traveling straight through Turkey and he gets it in his mind that he's going to turn left, go south, and preach the gospel in this series of towns there. But mysteriously, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing that. So the Apostle Paul's thinking, oh, okay, I'm not supposed to go and do that. Nobody, nobody knows what that, what that means. Just somehow God spoke to the Apostle Paul and said, don't do that. So the Apostle Paul figures, I'm not supposed to go south, I'm supposed to go north. So the Apostle Paul begins to turn north, and he thinks he's going to hit all these cities in Turkey. And the, the Bible once again says, but the Holy Spirit prevented him from doing that. And you're like, really? I can't go south, I can't go north. So the, the, so the Apostle Paul does, the only thing he knows to do is to just keep traveling through Turkey. He gets to the very end of Turkey in a little town called Troas. And it was there at that moment in the middle of the night that he receives a vision from God, from a man from Macedonia, Greece, Europe, that says, come over and preach the gospel to us. Paul had to travel all the way through Turkey. Can't go here, can't go here. Oh, I'm at the end of Turkey. What am I going to do? Come over to Macedonia. Took a little ship. That was the moment the gospel leaped from Asia to Europe. How did it happen? Backwards. Don't do this, don't do that. Love God, do what you will. Relax. I don't think God is too worked up about your career decisions. Love God, do what you will. You know what God is worked up about? He's worked up about you being a priest or a priestess. Your purpose in life is not necessarily how you make a living. Your purpose in life is sharing your story about how Jesus has changed you to other people around you. That means your family. That means your coworkers. Hey, God may lead you to a particular job, but leading you to that particular job, you're thinking more money, better benefits. God's thinking, no, there's people there that need me. It's not always about you. You know what I'm saying? God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. All right, I'm about to do something really crazy. I hope you can see it online. The ministry of reconciliation takes all kinds of forms. Sometimes it takes tattoos. See what I got in February? Come on, baby. You see it? I can't believe the pastor got a tattoo. Funny story, for years, both of our daughters said to me, if you get a tattoo, we'll get a tattoo. COVID hit, we couldn't go to the same tattoo parlor all at once. So I preempted it and said, I'm going in February. 
So I went to this tattoo parlor in Percocy, and um, our oldest daughter, who hasn't gotten a tattoo yet, said, I'll come with you. She wants to see how painful it is, <laughs> right? So we're there. I get the tattoo, and um, I start wearing shorts, right, in May because it got a little warm. I'm at ShopRite a couple weeks ago at the deli counter, and there's this woman getting whatever she's getting at the deli counter, but her 12-year-old son, 11, 12, 13, comes up, and he looks at me, and he goes, I like your tattoo. And I said, thank you. He goes, that's a cross. I said, yes, it is a cross. Do you know what the cross means? Yes, I know what the cross means. I said, you know what, you know what else? It's coming out now, I'm just telling you. I'm getting another tattoo, but I'm not going to be a crazy tattoo person. I'm getting another tattoo that's going to have the isthmus on it. You know what it is, the sign of the fish? Jesus Christ, God's son, Savior. And I told him, I said, do you know what that is? No, I've never heard about that. So we started the spiritual conversation. His mom leaves and he leaves, that's it. A little Asian lady standing behind me, and she says, I like your tattoo too. And I said, do you know what it means? She goes, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Who would have thought such a silly thing as this can start spiritual conversations? You, you know what this, this tattoo is representative of? I'm not asking you to get a tattoo. Guys, you should get a tattoo. <laughs> All right, look it, look it. Here's my challenge. Go get a cross tattoo on your left leg, and we'll all wear shorts together. We'll maybe, we'll maybe even go for a bike ride or something, okay? Here's the thing. This is symbolic of your life. You're to be a walking witness, a walking representative. The way that you speak, the values that you have, all of it is to be a witness for Christ. Okay. Those are things that changed. What didn't change? What did not change when you gave your life to Christ? Three things. Your personality, your problems, and your past. Your personality. Luke 6.13, at daybreak he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Each of the disciples was different in temperament. James and John had a nickname called Sons of Thunder. It certainly sounds like that ought to be on the back of a leather jacket. And have you ever wondered why they had that nickname, Sons of Thunder? There's a story behind there. Peter was outspoken and often stuck his foot in his mouth. Thomas was the melancholy of the group. I won't believe until I see the nail wounds and I put my hands in his nail wounds. You know, everybody else is like, oh, for crying out loud, just get over it. He's standing in front of you. But for Thomas, he's the big drama queen. Consider Martha and Mary. That is the archetype of type A, type B personality. All the type A's are looking at the type B's, judging them because, yes, they're sitting at the feet of Jesus. All the type B's are looking at the type A saying, I'm more spiritual than you. 
God made you with a specific temperament and personality, and it's good. Don't waste your life trying to be somebody you're not. If you're an introvert, lean into you being an introvert. If you're an extrovert, be an extrovert. If you love people and you like being around people and they feed you and give you energy, we'll do that. If you like people less than those who love people, make sure you get enough you time so that when you are with people, you're appropriate. Your personality doesn't change. You know, through the years, and I had to work through this myself because through the years I thought, okay, now, he, now he's a really good Christian and I want to be just like him. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to be like somebody else, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul said that. But I tried to morph my personality to be like that person I was looking up to and it never worked out. I always felt like it wasn't me. That's because I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. You don't need to pray like anybody else. You just need to pray like you. And you need to figure that out. Number two, your problems, uh, your problems didn't go away. They didn't change. Jesus said, John 16, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Some people think that when they invite Christ into their life, it's some magical formula and everything will be wonderful and we'll be you know, eating ice cream and cake all the time. We won't have to eat lima beans and broccoli anymore, you know, and we just have this unrealistic expectation about our problems. Sometimes your problems increase when you give your life to Christ because the construction project that God is doing inside of you will require some demolition. And demolition hurts. When things are taken out of your life, it takes a little faith to go, I'm not sure what God's going to replace, but I know I'm hurting right now. Some of you, when you gave your life to Christ, your spouses started a war on you. Why do you have to go to church all the time? You're different. I married you the way. And you just have to just say, hey, listen, God's working on me. I'm going to be a better spouse to you in the long run. Just, just give me a little breathing room. Your past. Your past doesn't change just because you gave your life to Christ. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Your past doesn't change even though you've given your life to Christ. What does that mean? It means that the consequences of the choices that you made years ago when you weren't walking with Christ, you may still have to live with those consequences today. That's okay because he redeems them and he uses those things in your past that you'd rather not go back to or rather not think about. God has promised to redeem everything. And part of that redemption process is taking the mistakes, the sins, the failures, the decisions that you've made in your past, the things that are utterly embarrassing and saying, I will redeem them, and I will weave them into your life, and I will use them in the future to help somebody else out, but you're still going to have to live with the consequences. And God is going to use you dealing with those consequences, ultimately for your good and his glory. But let's just be realistic. God doesn't wipe away your past. That becomes part of your story. Now, I'd like to close with two thoughts that usually Christians struggle with, whether you've been a Christian for a year or a decade or several decades, 
But this whole question of what happened to me when I received Christ, when Christ came into my life, I think we have to ask the question about what about your feelings? What feeling, what, what role do your feelings have in your relationship with Christ? Sometimes we feel the presence of Jesus and sometimes we don't. This may be a shock to you. Sometimes I feel like preaching and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I've slept well Saturday night. Sometimes I haven't. And sometimes I'm super energized about a message. And then sometimes I I know that God's given me a message to give, but it's not like, I I mean, I don't know. Just not worked up about it. You know, I hope that doesn't mean you think of me any different. I'm I'm just telling you there's a human element here. Right? Sometimes you feel married. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you feel like a Christian. Sometimes you don't. What about your feelings? God has called us to live by faith, not our feelings. That's not to denigrate our feelings. That's not to say that our feelings aren't legitimate. It's just simply to say that you can't, there comes a point in your life where you can't live on your feelings. In fact, I want to say this. One of the things, one of the construction projects that God is doing inside of you is he's trying to wean you off of your feelings. Most of us are too closely connected to our feelings, and we make decisions based on our feelings, and here's what God is wanting you to do. In the early days of your Christian walk, you're going to feel, potentially, you're going to feel a whole lot of things. God is going to be so close to you when you pray boom the answer's right there you prayed it 45 minutes later it's unbelievable and guess what as you grow in the lord here's what god is doing god is trying to wean you off of your feelings and god's saying to you basically this will you follow me whether you feel like it or not will you follow follow me in sunshiny days where it feels like unicorns are dancing all around you will you follow me in deep dark days when you're going to have to reach down inside of you and pull out faith with no emotion whatsoever. You know what I found? That same God that's there in the sunshine is the same God that's there in the valley. Feelings. So what do you do if you don't feel the presence of God? Let me just suggest a couple things. What I do is this. I I always ask myself the question, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Sin blocks us. Sin separates us from God. So if I'm not feeling close to God, I just have to say, okay, God, search me, right? I pull a a Psalm 139. Search me, oh God. Test me. See if there's any offensive way in me. And I just do a spiritual soul check. The second question I ask myself is this. Am I spending adequate time with God? Am I spending adequate time with God? If I want to have a deep and meaningful relationship with the Lord, just like we sang about, the last song we sang, if we want to have that kind of experience, then we need to spend enormous amounts of time with Christ. Over the last three months, Holly and I, our life has been crazy. We added it up. Over the past 12 weeks, we've actually been in the same house six out of the last 12 weeks. And because I got COVID and because I had my back issues, we haven't slept in the same bedroom for like two-thirds of the time. And Holly and I keep saying, man, we're in a crazy season of our life, aren't we? I love you. You love me. But we're in a crazy season. You know what I noticed a couple weeks ago? We were kind of spatting at each other. Just kind of spatting at each other. 
And then we realized, man, we haven't even spent enough time together. So you got to remedy that. Is it any different in your relationship with Christ? If there's distance, then you need to say, wait a minute, am I spending adequate time with the Lord? Last question, what about dry spells? Every Christian goes through dry spells. Moments, seasons of plateauing, where you just feel like you're hit a glass ceiling, hit a wall. I don't know. God doesn't seem to be answering prayer anymore. I don't know. I'm not getting anything out of the message. I don't know. I'm not getting anything when I read out of God's word. Totally get that. There's a story in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 37. It's one of the best stories in the entire Old Testament because it speaks to this moment. It's the valley of dry bones. God gives Ezekiel the prophet a vision of a valley of dry bones, an army that has died. Millions and millions and millions of bones scatter over this valley. And in this vision, God speaks to Ezekiel and says, can these bones live? And you can tell that Ezekiel's faith is flagging because he said, you know, he, he doesn't say no, but he says, only you know, Lord, which is the same way of saying, I got nothing. I mean, I don't think, but if you're asking, I don't know. What do you think? And then in this vision, God begins to raise these bones up. I mean, there ought to be a Hollywood movie about this. God raises these bones up and sinew and flesh begins to put on these bones and an army is created out of these dry bones. And God says at the end of chapter 37, this I will do for my people again. Some of you are dry bones. It's been a long time since you really felt God's presence. It's been a long time since you've received a word from the Lord. So here's my invitation. Remember I started the service by talking about me coming to the altar? I didn't know what I was doing there. I just knew I was responding to a voice. Here's what I think. I think there's two kinds of people that could benefit from just getting up in a moment and just coming to an altar. The first group is people who either don't know Christ or aren't really sure of their salvation. And you're like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've really had this life-changing experience with Jesus. You may or may not hear a voice like I did in my head, but there may be something deep inside of you stirring that says, I, I want to really know Christ and I'm actually not sure where I'm at. If that's you, when the worship team closes, you should get up and come to the altar. It's not a place of embarrassment, it's a place of opportunity. You should just get up and say, I'm here, what, what do you wanna do? What are you saying to me? I'm responding, that's your act of faith. The second group of people are the dry bones people. I cannot tell you how many times through the years I have had to come to an altar because I felt like dry bones myself. I totally get that. Everybody plateaus in their life 
There's no shame in that. It's just a shame if you stay there. Because God has something more. Last week was Pentecost Sunday. The Holy Spirit descending on the church. The church being born. And there was something inside of me last week that said, Oh, do it again. (laughs) Take my dry bones and raise them up. You can start that prayer. I can't guarantee that that will happen today, but you can start that prayer at this altar and say, I'm dry. Put your spirit in me again. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, these next few moments speak clearly to those who need to open up their lives to you and speak clearly to people that may have been walking with you for decades but the best metaphor they can come up with these days about where they're at with you is I'm just a little dry would you raise them up as they take a step of faith And would you breathe new life into them? Because you're the only one who can do it. Begin that today. In Jesus' name, amen. As the worship team comes, if if this message is speaking to you, just get up and come to the altar. There's also opportunities right on the front rows. You can just kneel if the altars are filled up. It's just a moment between you and God. Take advantage of it.